It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Stand by your beds, don't leave the house, don't go to the pub, don't get married, don't even think of having a social life. And whatever you do, download this NHS app, which doesn't actually work very well, but which might result in forcing you to quarantine yourself just in case you might contact a virus so deadly that you won't even know you've got it. I'm just pausing for you to take all that in, first of all. This weekend, the government's COVID policy went from the ridiculous to the even more ludicrous as people were turned away from pubs and restaurants for not having the app. Kicked out at 10 o'clock because that's when the curfew kicks in. Students were told told that they could not leave their dormitories, even if they needed food. They started putting up, you know, like posters in their windows like they were being held hostage uh, in the Bangkok Hilton, for heaven's sake. And it turned out that the government's own scientific advisers lied to the public about how many people could die if lockdown two wasn't brought in. That's right. Sir Patrick Valance apparently has admitted privately that that number of 50,000 people somehow contracting the disease on a daily basis if we didn't do the lockdown was literally plucked out of the air. Brilliant, isn't it? Meanwhile, it's emerged this morning that all the bars inside the Houses of Parliament don't shut at 10 o'clock like all the bars in the rest of the country and anyone going in doesn't have to leave their details behind or produce the dreaded NHS app. It's one rule for them and another for the rest of us. Absolutely disgusting and incredibly out of touch with the people. I'm going to order them today to start shutting down their bars at 10 o'clock or open up all the other bars in the country until as long as we want them open. We'll be getting the views of former UKIP politician Suzanne Evans this morning. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Peter Hitchens, Mail on Sunday columnist, joins us with his latest take on the increasingly despotic actions of Boris Johnson and the government, who are now openly admitting they want us all to stop socialising and threatening us with heavy fines of thousands of pounds for failing to comply with enforced house arrest. Yes, I'm afraid so. That's what it's come down to. 03444991000. And after midday, we'll find out just how the hospitality business survived the weekend with James Chiaverini, owner of Il Portico Restaurant in London. And of course, no Monday morning can be complete without those paragons of virtue, Harry and Meghan, who have now signed up to do their own version of the Kardashians. It's a reality show. Hmm. Harry, Harry, let's do a reality show, Harry. Let's not invade our own privacy, Harry. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. 
Even my phone started talking to me now. I don't know how somehow I managed to switch that on. What is going on? I'll tell you what. I'm very worried about these NHS apps. I think people have downloaded them. I think people are... I don't even know what that piece of music is. Where does that come from? Let's talk to Suzanne Evans and get some sanity onto the show. Suzanne, a very good morning to you. Well, that's nice to be said. I get to be saying. One hates so many. <laughs> well, Morning. listen, there's not very much sanity about uh, these days. Let's begin, first of all, shall we? I mean, I know you've been quite um, vocal over the weekend about a whole bunch of things, which we'll catch up with. But isn't it ludicrous to discover this morning that the Houses of Parliament have several bars in them, none of which close at 10pm, all of which will allow you into them without asking who you are, what you're doing there and having the NHS app? I think it's, it's bitterly disappointing. You know, I've spent a lot of my career trying to say that actually politicians aren't all bad people. They're not all a bunch of crooks. They actually sometimes go into politics for the very best of reasons. And then something like this comes out. On top, of course, of the news that we had last week when they decided that every taxi driver in the country and their passengers have all got to wear masks. Uh, but chauffeur-driven cars will be exempt. So, of course, ministers will still be allowed to go around uh, Westminster to wherever they want to go with their chauffeurs without having to wear a mask. So this kind of thing is really they're shooting themselves in the foot really and it's also of course a nonsense because is there any evidence whatsoever well not first of all just at a 10 p.m curfew will help spread the spread stop the spread of coronavirus i don't really think there's any evidence for that but i suspect there's certainly no evidence that mps drinking in a bar after 10 o'clock are any less likely to catch it either no, exactly right. And but it, it, it's sort of it's very indicative, it seems to me, Suzanne, of the way that this whole uh, pandemic is now being treated. You know, the policy seems to go from from sort of, you know, from from one ridiculous extent to another. We hear as well this morning or over the weekend that Sir Patrick Valance's figure of 50,000 people ca- catching the disease if we don't lock it down was kind of made up and picked out of the air. Uh, and the similar idea that this kind of, you know, this projection of theirs was really just put in place to frighten people and to try and make them want to stay home. It's terrible, isn't it? The politics of fear. I mean, why would you want to continue? The trouble is the government did a very, very good job at the start of this lockdown, at the start of this pandemic, scaring people witless. Mm. Um, I'm scared. I, I admit, you know, I, I, I've got elderly parents. Uh, I'm getting on myself a bit now. I've got various underlying health conditions. It was absolutely terrifying at first. And I'll admit, um, uh, perhaps with some reticence now, that I went into lockdown quite willingly at the beginning, thinking that I was doing my bit to help save lives and protect the NHS and all the rest of it. Uh, and now, of course, the, 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 the landscape has shifted very much. And we realise that perhaps certainly for certain significant sections of the population, that this virus isn't nearly as dangerous as we first thought. And yet it's those uh, populations that are being hit hardest. It's the poorest in our country who are losing their jobs um, as a result of the immense economic fallout. The, the catastrophes that we've seen students going through this week yeah. is really quite shocking. You know, off to university perhaps for the first time or returning students paying up front for their accommodation only to arrive to be told they can't leave their rooms and all their courses are online anyway. I mean, I think that's an, an absolute scandal. There's, there's no other way for it. I, I was trying to think this morning, actually, Mike, has there any, been any point in my lifetime where I felt previously that the government is making, whatever government is under whatever political party, is that, have I ever known a government that is making so many mistakes day in, day out, sometimes several times a day? And I obviously can't think, can't think of one, which for someone like me, who actually, you know, was very happy to campaign alongside Boris Johnson on the leaving the EU referendum campaign, is bitterly disappointing. I thought this government was going to be one of the best of my lifetime. And OK, we didn't expect a pandemic. None of us did. 
but so far it's shaping up to be one of the worst. No, exactly right. And I think most of us, like you at the beginning, were slightly concerned about the virus for one reason or another. We didn't know much about it. We didn't really understand it. We'd never been through anything like that. And so we were willing to do what they said. And we were willing to believe them when they said they were following the science, you know. But now we learn that the science actually is a bunch of computer models made up by a bunch of bearded blokes at Imperial College who don't seem to know much more about science than I do. You know, they know about modelling. They know about computers. They know about making predictions. But what they don't know about is actual medicine. And it seems to me now uh, that the government has kind of started to take this attitude that uh, they'll just flail about until such time as hopefully they wake up one morning and coronavirus has disappeared. I mean, that seems to be the policy. I have to say, I I was always slightly dubious about this phrase, follow the science, because science is so often never uniform. And and certainly some of the people in medicine who I know in my kind of immediate circle uh, were questioning the government's response and feeling that they didn't think that the virus was actually quite as dangerous as we were as, as the government was trying to make out at the beginning. I think this actually goes back to China. I think what we saw in those uh, days in November, December, uh, and I remember because I had some Chinese friends staying with me at the time, and, and they were absolutely horrified at, at what was happening mm. in, in Shanghai uh, and, 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 and Wuhan when people were literally being uh, arrested, locked up, dragged away. Um, and we saw this absolute complete overreaction by the Chinese. And I think we thought, well, if the Chinese are doing it and that's what they're doing, it must be absolutely terrifying, this disease, and, they, and we can see it. But I think perhaps what we didn't question enough was, well, is China doing this because this disease really is absolutely terrifying? Or is China doing it because it's China? Mm. And that's the way authoritarian communist governments work. And I do sometimes wonder, had this um, virus broken out in Sweden, would our response to it have been very different? And would we have been able to avoid the appalling consequences, both economic, physical, mental, social, uh, of, of, of the lockdown measures that we, that we put in place? Because I think it's becoming increasingly clear now that the deaths that we are going to have are going to be more deaths, not be- of coronavirus, but because of the response yes. that we well, I mean, I, I was I was talking last week, Suzanne, of how, um, and I think these figures are available for everyone to see, that in August, coronavirus was not even amongst the top 10 um, reasons for death in this country, uh, or indeed around the world. And so, uh, generally speaking, in the world, a million people die every single day of the week, right? Now, a million people have died of coronavirus. People will say, oh, well, yeah, but that's because it hasn't run its course yet. But it's actually, although, as everybody has to say, uh, every death is a tragedy, yes, but one million people dying in a world full of, you know, six or seven billion, uh, it's not a very big number, I'm afraid. I don't think COVID has ever really been anywhere near. If you look at the global health statistics, I don't think COVID has ever been anywhere near the top of that that list. And, and, and I, I think this is one thing that I also feel very uncomfortable about. We seem to be quite happy to let millions of people die every day because of drought, because of disease, because of poverty. Um, around the world because of malaria, because of all sorts of infectious, horrible, nasty and infectious diseases. And and yet COVID comes along, which is suddenly affecting a wealthy Western countries. And, oh, those deaths are somehow far more important. Mm. And I, I, you know, yeah, every death, and I know people that have, I know one person that's died of COVID. I know um, five other people who've died as a consequence of COVID, but not of it. Uh, I know people who've had COVID badly and some who've, have no symptoms whatsoever so it's a very very mixed bag Mm. and and this is all appalling but i think there is something really quite 
terrifying about a nation that we have become now, and I see it on my Twitter feed all the time, Mike, as I'm sure you do, people calling me selfish for wanting the world to get back to normal, yeah. for wanting the economy to get back to normal. Um, well, no, I, I don't think it's people like me who are saying we need a rethink on this. Lockdown hasn't worked to start with. There's no evidence it's working. Mask wearing hasn't working. It was when we all started to put masks on that the rate of infection went up. Yeah. Um, we need another look at this again a sensible, cold-headed look, which puts into the past all the decisions that have been made previously. I think part of the problem here is that government has caused such damage that it can't possibly admit it's wrong, and it's got to keep doing the same thing over and over again. And as we know, that is a definition of madness. Indeed. It's time a fresh and, look at this and a fresh approach. Yes, and as we saw at the weekend, once again, you know, people are getting angry, people are getting very concerned about the lockdown measures. There's a growing number of people now who wish to turn out and demonstrate against it. And I know you uh, were horrified, as many people were, at some of the actions of the police um, at the Trafalgar Square demo, where all people who were there at the beginning said that it was a very peaceful, organised demonstration. People were speaking, uh, people were listening, people were chatting to one another. I'm sure there were one or two elements there who were perhaps troublemakers looking for trouble with the police, because there always are. Um, But the police tactics did seem a bit over the top. Completely. I, I'm, I, I don't know if people watching and listening have seen that awful video of a quite elderly lady. I think mm. she was 70, literally being punched in the stomach mm. and pushed to the ground by the police. That, that's just that's just unforgivable. There's, there's no excuse for that. Um, when we think, too, about the way in which the police behaved at the Black Lives Matter protests, at the Extinction Rebellion protests, you know, on the Black Lives Matter, the crowd was increasingly hostile. They were lobbing sticks and stones at the police. You could see the violence. And what did the police do? They went down on one knee. Mm. Um, the Extinction Rebellion, we know their tactics are very much civil disobedience and criminal damage. The police just stood aside. And yet here's a, an elderly 70-year-old woman protesting peacefully, standing on a chair. They drag her down off the chair, punch her in the stomach mm. and push her to the floor. Mm. I mean, we cannot have this kind of two-tier policing. And who? I, I can only assume it's Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, who is obviously authorising these uh, very, very strong-armed and completely over-the-top uh, violent responses by the police to one set of protests. And yet when you've got actual violent protests, he's clearly suggesting the police should, yeah. should stand by and do nothing. Um, I, I, I don't quite know how you hold that kind of um, policy making to account, in all honesty. And I hope the London AMs will do so, whatever party they're from, because anyone watching that video can surely not condone yeah. what happened. No, I mean, there's, there's lots of different versions of the video, but in any event, she's certainly pushed to the ground. And certainly mm-hmm. that is not the way that she needed to be dealt with. But Sadiq, Khan is calling for people on the day to leave London to get out of the demonstration on the grounds that they're no longer uh, doing it in a safe manner. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, I didn't see anybody at the Black Lives Matter march behaving differently in terms of being further away from one another, in terms of socially distancing from one another. You know, they were all doing the same thing that all people do when they when they mass gather in a place like Trafalgar Square. So you're quite right that he has two completely separate ways of operating here. And not only that, he actually praised the Black Lives Matter marches um yeah. he he tweeted favorably about them and of course he supported extinction rebellion in the past as well yeah i know shocking absolutely terrible state of affairs but when you look at the front page of the times today emergency lockdown plan to ban socializing i mean i'm wondering what on earth has happened to this country i wake up sometimes on a monday morning and i just think 
surely this is actually a dream. Surely this is not really happening. Am I really? I mean, I speak speaking to people over the course of the weekend, people being refused entry to bars and restaurants unless they download this app. The app doesn't even work very well because we already know that it doesn't register, um, you know, either negative tests or positive tests from certain places, which are um, English hospitals, effectively. Um, and you're, you're basically being encouraged not to go out, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think perhaps one of the things that's been brought home to me very clearly throughout this whole sorry episode is just how important socialisation is to being a human being and to actually having a life at all. Uh, um, I, I'm not a lonely person. I live alone, but I've never been lonely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly, I'm extremely optimistic, actually, most of the time. But I have found these last few months incredibly tough. Um, I spent the first three weeks of lockdown, I don't mind telling you, kind of bursting into tears for no apparent reason mm. on and off. Um, my mental health has at times been on the floor. And I have never felt as low, I don't think, as I have felt in those, those first few weeks of lockdown. I'm, I'm much cheerier and I feel much better now because mm. I'm able to get out and socialise and meet friends and family again. Um, Zoom, as fantastic as it's been, and the telephone just don't just don't cut. It really doesn't, does it? I mean, I remember those days as well when I was stuck in London. I didn't go and see my children because, you know, they weren't in London and I didn't want to take whatever I had with me to their house. But in the end, um, there's only so many, um, you know, sort of house party calls you can make. And I mean, in the end, I actually was quite happy not to talk to anyone at all because it was getting ridiculous, you know. Yeah, I've actually, actually, in a sense, it came that, that meetings like the one that we're having now actually reinforced the problem rather than actually being a solution, yeah. I think. Uh, terms of your mental health and we have business leaders today you know some some of the most wealthy high-powered business leaders have been taking part in a survey today that's been reported by Booper and I think the overwhelming majority of them have had some kind of mental health problem during that time so even those who who are ostensibly healthy wealthy wise the most successful in our country are really struggling and there is a limit to which i think we can survive without that essential human contact which as i say i i personally don't really think i ever fully appreciated before because i am i'm, I'm very very independent um but but my goodness i realize actually now it's very easy to be independent when you've got the option not to be independent mm. as well i think that's what's there. most frustrating about all of this i mean i was sitting around at the weekend talking uh, to, to friends about this that it's not so much that you absolutely must go on holiday or you absolutely must go out for dinner but it's the fact that you now sort of can't that drives you mad isn't it it is that's exactly it mike you hit the nail on the head mm. now one final question for you suzanne big week this week for boris johnson because on wednesday uh, a vote in parliament on the further sort of powers that the government wants to wants to put on us and the further restrictions it wants to put on us um do you think there's a chance that the government might lose this vote well, I hope so. Um, I can remember Steve Baker in particularly when the Coronavirus Act was Act was passed, almost in tears in Parliament saying, you know, I, I'm somebody who believes in liberty and freedom. It's with a very heavy heart that I give the government this power and this responsibility. Mm. But it has become increasingly clear, I'm afraid, over the past few months that the government is abusing its powers. And so I do hope that this amendment does get through. Uh, at the very least, we need to have parliamentary, parliamentary scrutiny on what the government is doing, because it seems to me, with, with all due respect to our ministers, who, are, who I'm sure are doing they think is the best job they can under incredibly difficult circumstances. I think there is such a thing as being too close to something. And as I said earlier, being trapped by the mistakes that you have made in the past and therefore feeling unwilling to be able to change path and path and change tack. Um, we need that parliamentary scrutiny back. My concern is that we've had no opposition during this mm. period. 
I think Labour could clean up now, to be honest, if it started saying it's gone too far, civil liberties are under threat. And what does the Labour Party stand for if not civil liberties, for goodness sake? But unfortunately, our opposition has been even weaker uh, and more pathetic, frankly, than, than, than some of the ways in which our government has behaved. Um, so they're not actually being in opposition. They just seem to be going along with everything the Conservatives want to do, but, but doubling down on it and saying it should be even more ferocious. So that's my concern. But I, I think it's absolutely time for MPs to start asking questions again. I'd like to pay tribute to all those that have questioned their own governments, their own parties' policies, because that can't have been easy for them. Indeed. Suzanne Evans, Director of Political Insight. Thank you very much indeed. And welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We'll talk to you again very soon, I'm sure. Suzanne Evans there, uh, making an awful lot of sense, kicking us off this morning uh, for the beginning of yet another week of intrigue, uh, of uh, craziness, of uh, ups and downs, of topsy-turvy politics, of weird policies, of massive lockdowns, all sorts of strangeness going on, which we need to talk about, we need to address, we need to help uh, to get help from you as well. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome to a new TV show, like of which has never been seen before. The only way is Sussex. With me... The Prince of Sussex and the Duke of Netflix, Harry Windsor, and my beautiful wife, Meghan Markle. Hey, Harry. We came to America to seek our fortune, to become independently wealthy, to make sure that we could have communities of compassion built. Our first community is on pay-per-view. It'll only cost you $9.99 to look inside our house. The first nine series will be on one bedroom each. The next 16 series will be on every one of our bathrooms. Harry, how much money are we making for this? Oh, I don't know. I'm not very good with numbers. Welcome to the world's most ridiculous couple. Ladies and gentlemen, Harry and Meghan, what an absolute pair of horrors. Let's talk to Mark Bukowski, uh, a man that knows a thing or two about image and uh, a thing or two about Harry and Meghan, really. Mark, how are you? Oh, well, Mike, whatever you do, don't go into an impersonating career. I mean, yeah, that... <laughs> listen, I had <laughs> Lewis. Awful, listen, mate. Awful impersonation of Pat Harry. I mean, I listen, think I've, 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 I've had, I've had Lewis McLeod. Well, they sue everybody else. I'd be quite happy for them to sue me. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Lewis McLeod, who is on Spitting Image, told me just last week that he thought my Megan impression was pretty good. All right, okay. Well, I stand down. There you, you know, go. You know, there's something who knows more than that. Says what you know. Okay. You know, I don't know why have we got you on to come on here and slag <laughs> me off. Disgraceful. Now, listen. Um, who who knew that this would happen? I mean, after all, they went there to protect their privacy, didn't they? Well, yeah. Look, I mean, it's it, it, you. You look at this, and there's a sort of dual argument to this. We're all saying, okay, get out there, make money, don't sponge off us any law. Give the money back for Frogmore. Uh, actually, arguably, they're doing just that uh, because they're box office. Um, they're, for Netflix, is fantastic publicity. Here we are talking about it, and for you know, for those who are going to you know pay subscription for the platform, they might not do that. The issue has always been what were they going to do when they went on Netflix, right. and this is a quick answer. I mean, I thought it was going to become a studio. They were going to have loads of help to brand. Um, some some great thoughts and great ideas. Now we're going to see 
perhaps their sort of voice talking and more messaging, more propaganda from them. Well, that's an instant turnoff because when you have this level of hype around their deal with the Netflix, we all, all publishers will t- tell you, you know, you've got to have a hit. Your first move into the market is a hit because if you don't, in this world, you switch off and you're never going to regain that audience. So, um, unfortunately, it's hubristic, isn't it? They, they are very much listening to themselves and people who reflect their views. And you probably need some very crucial, a crucial partnership of, of what you call critical friends inside that. But that's not what they want. Um, they, they, they want their message out there, come, what, come whatever, um, and we're going to see it. Uh, but I'm not sure it's going to be the box office that uh, they hope. Well, that's and what, that I, that's what I wonder about, because, you know, when we all saw, I mean, there's been several kind of what I would say market movers in this uh, pay-per-view area. First was Howard Stern in America when he got everybody to buy satellite radio uh, and subscribe to his, uh, his satellite radio channels. And, and as a result, the company that, that paid him $100 million dollars a year uh, ended up making an absolute fortune you know and that's one thing um serious uh, fm or whatever you call it but then and then you look at say uh, uh, jeremy clarkson's a top gear lot who managed to bring loads and loads of people into amazon uh, and amazon prime for amazon so they justified it but this i don't think these two are in the same bracket at all anywhere near well that way well, you, you you've hit the nail on the head there you've got you, you know love them or love them Clarkson is a fantastic uh, journalist and a fantastic broadcaster and, and hits a mark. The mm. same as Howard Stern. I mean, he's box office wherever he goes because, you know, he knows what people want. I'm not sure they actually know what people want. They know what they want and they know what they think people should, should take from them. Um, but that's not quite the same. Getting hit format um, is incredibly difficult. Mm. That's why we're looking back at at stuff that's, you know, strictly X Factor. They're, they're 10, 15 years old, yeah. probably older than that. Right. Um, so it's difficult. But they, they, they're just on this mission. And, of course, for Netflix, it's fantastic publicity um, because it, it, it's reaching out. But we, we still don't. I mean, The Sun this morning is still speculating. Let's be even-handed about it. Well, no one's quite sure. But if it's just going to have them, as you pointed out, talking you know, to the public and, and, and um, giving their sort of whiny messages. We don't like it. And, of course, you're right. It does bring in privacy. If we're going to do this from their home, here they are launched into major legal action about privacy. And um, I used to say to my clients all over the years, on one day you're boasting and showing everybody the internal workings of your home for OK and hello, and next day you're moaning about a paparazzi yeah. following you as you leave that home. Right. So but The other it, thing is, if you think... Work. Yeah, also, if you think about, like, the Osbournes, I mean, Ozzy Osbourne was genuinely interesting to watch because he's so mad, right? And and his wife is, is not much less mad. So that was a good show for that very reason, and their excesses were kind of amusing. Whereas this lot are going to be pretending that they're like everybody else, and they actually care so much about the planet, you know, and in fact, they will become the most hated couple on earth because they're not very likable and they don't actually encourage people to like them uh, because they're so smarmy. Well, from Megan's background, where she comes from the sort of new age of Hollywood, you know, control of the message, you know, you make it, you know, all these people who, who, who are doing sort of uh, promotional um, vehicles and looking for copy approval. The problem is, by the time you take the interesting bits, the grit out of the oyster, you're left with 
not much. Right. Because you, you, you've got to have things that are interesting. And I'm afraid some of our American friends, the culture gap is the things that we find interesting, they think is not particularly a story. Right. So you get this limp gruel um, that is unappetizing. And, and that will be my warning because I still don't see any evidence around them as a people challenging these two you've mm. got to have people inside your organization say look let's, let's, let's sense check this it is very much a one-way propaganda street oh yeah absolutely and also in the end as much as you say all uh, everyone's encouraging them to make their own way in life and you know i mean he does have a 30 million pound trust fund as old harry i mean it's not as if they haven't got any money so he could actually do nothing for the rest of his life and he'd be fine so the fact that he's now kind of prostituting himself because of his royal name getting a deal with netflix because of his royal name and then actually kind of embarrassing the, the royal family by giving this glimpse into their life i mean he should have better standards surely shouldn't he well, look, I mean, I'm not sure, yes, I'm sure he has got a huge trust fund, but, you know, those sort of people and their sort of expenses and their lifestyle, the security... Yeah, but people, you know, some, nobody's heart's <laughs> bleeding for them in Whitechapel. Oh, my God, <laughs> you know, poor Harry's only got 30 million. No, no, I, I'm with you, Mike. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying that, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, you know, th th look, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. Quite them, right, too. I mean, yeah, you know, so so it's, it's, it's an impossible sort of balance to, to make, but... Yeah, I mean, this is this this is a this is a level of what you're going. You, you, you're experiencing things. You're borrowing your mate Elton's jet to fly around. I mean, look at the look at when we exposed the costs of uh, Uncle Andrew's uh, golf trip yeah. um, on a charter. I mean, it's a, it's a different view of life, unfortunately, and that's why you need people saying you've got to be real here. You've got to understand what is happening actually on the street in Whitechapel or in Peckham yeah. or in. I mean, don't forget, these are people. These are people who went on the most expensive royal trip of the year to South Africa, right? Uh, in which they cost the, uh, the 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 crown something like two hundred fifty thousand quid, and she actually had the temerity and the gall to say to the ITV interviewer that she was just about surviving. Well, you know, this is the point. If if we look at some of the royal members of the family, you know, members of the royal family, Princess Anne is a good example. Even Sophie Wessex, they sort of get on with their job, you know. And the job at times isn't that glamorous, you know. Opening up um, a civic centre in a less fashionable part of the country right. is a bit of a grind. She didn't want that, you know. She she thought she, as I said, we talked before. She thinks members of all family is more Disney than is Windsor, um, and uh, you know there, there there is there is a job to be done, and uh, you know this at least they're out of the way, and to a certain extent, although this news won't be filling the royal spin masters with any glee. You know, at least they're separated away from that and they're trying to distance themselves or the royal family's trying to distance themselves, you know, from, you know, so they might have that image of the royal family, but they're certainly well out of uh, of the royal pot as, as it stands today. Yes, I think that's probably right. But, I mean, it's all going to end in tears. I just feel that uh, at some point or other, Harry's going to wake up from his dream and work, work out that maybe he actually made the wrong decision. Well, there was an interesting piece in the Telegraph over the weekend about the sort of Megan's jigsaw and what part Parry played in it. It was quite a—it's quite an interesting piece. It, it held no punches, um, and I think that there's still a lot, long way to go from this. But listen, here we are in a world completely dominated by COVID. At least this gives us a bit of a distraction. It's true. Um, to, it does to, cheer to us moan. up. 
having a mic, what would you have? You didn't have um, a, a, a mic. You know, you need a mic. We all need them to well, go. Well, listen, on, so yeah, I on. mean, the government's pretty laughable at the moment as well. So, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it trebles yeah, all around. At the, but as long as you're out by 10, uh, you'll be fine. Mark Bukowski, thank you very much indeed, uh, talking to us there about the Netflix deal. I agree with him. I don't think it's going to be such a huge draw because, let's face it, they're not very interesting, Harry and Meghan. I mean, you know, Ozzy Osbourne um, and his wife, actually, uh, were quite an interesting couple. She was completely mad. She used to get very frustrated at the way he behaved. The Kardashians I've never seen, so I can't tell you what to make of any of that. But in the end, I bet you they're a lot more interesting than Harry and Meghan. And little Archie who doesn't have any friends. Yeah, let's go over to Archie. What are you doing, Archie? Nothing. Why? I haven't got any friends. Why? They don't like you. God save us. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. 
And once that begins to get around, I think it will do, as needs to be done, immense damage to the standing of a government which is now verging on, if it has not already passed the frontiers of, megalomania. Mm. I'm glad it's out. I mean, we know the reasons for these rules. Uh, As far as I know, the the Palace of Westminster is a royal palace which can do pretty much what it likes. And when I worked down there, there were bars open all over the place, Mm. till heaven knows when, on the excuse that Parliament in those days sat quite late, which it sometimes did. And people needed somewhere to go. Uh, there were always arguments against it, uh, but uh, they, uh, one of them being, of course, that an awful lot of laws were passed by people who were not entirely sober. <laughs> uh, but given what they do when they are sober, it's probably no bad thing. I, but it, the whole point that they don't abide by their own rules is, is one which is immensely damaging. And I think they're going to have trouble shaking it off. I just hope uh, that it leads to a, a, enough shame mm. and enough embarrassment for the major event on Wednesday, the, the renewal or non-renewal of the despotic and disgraceful Coronavirus Act to be properly debated and for it to be voted down. I doubt it very much. MPs are going through manoeuvres at the moment which look as if they're objecting to it and objecting to the government's extra powers, but don't, in my view, amount to very much. What we really need is for this act, which should never have been passed, uh, to be tossed in the bin. I hope it might lead to that. Certainly, I hope it might lead to a lot more people doing as I urge them. Write to your member of parliament. Don't try to argue with them. Most of these boobies can't reason. Just say, I've noticed you're not doing your job, uh, and yet you're still being paid more than £80,000 a year for it. Uh, do you think people who don't do their jobs should keep their mm. job? Yeah. Nor do I. Well, do something about it then. And if, if everybody uh, who, who hears this message writes to their MP politely, uh, briefly and acidly along those lines, it will make them worry about whether they will still be there a few years hence. And that's the only thing that ever gets their attention. Yes, I think so. I mean, we did hear last week that the possibility of Graham Brady's amendment being completely ignored by the Speaker uh, was a real one because it turns out that it may have no uh, process in legality. It may be um, a, a pointless amendment, in which case all of this talk of, of, of people voting against the government is really kind of pointless. But it would be terrific if they did. But I'm not actually sure or what it would mean if they did vote down this coronavirus bill, where would that leave us then? Well, it wouldn't make much difference except as, a, as so many of these things do in terms of, of, of morale and direction. It would make it plain the government had lost control of the commons and it would also make it plain that people were turning against uh, this use of mm. quite extraordinary levels of repression uh, to try and do the impossible, namely control the spread of a virus. And that needs to sink in. One hopes that it happens for, for that reason. The really crucial moment comes when Simon Dolan's uh, court case eventually uh, gets into the courts, because that's the one that really challenges the basis of what's going on. Uh, and everybody should be should be do, doing all they can to back that, because if we want any kind of legal, peaceful protest against what's going on, this is where it has to be concentrated. And the courts have to take it on, because the government is actually abusing the law quite frankly, shockingly, and I think quite obviously abusing the law, by by stretching a, a, a Public Health Act passed in 1984 about a million miles beyond where it, where it should go. All these things need to be up for discussion, not just in Parliament, but among what has up till very recently been a completely complacent and, and indeed uh, zombified media. Mm. Uh, and, but the, the a, a serious vote in which the Coronavirus Act was, was, was chucked into the, into the wheelie bin where it belongs would be a big step forward. Yes, it certainly would. Because interestingly, I, I was actually quite staggered at the kind of... Uh, 
the, the ridiculous attitude of the students over the course of the last few days, who, having been told to stay in their rooms, decided to stay in their rooms. I mean, I can't imagine when you and I were students that we would have done that. But secondly, yeah. uh, it then turns out that Manchester University discovered, thanks to a few lawyers, actually they couldn't order students to stay in their rooms. So it's very unclear. I think most people don't understand whether there is a law uh, about any of this stuff and whether any of it is enforceable. We're told now, for example, that it's against the law to not self-isolate when you're told to. Well, what does that even mean? Well, I don't know. And a lot of these things, as Jonathan Sumption has pointed out in the past, are bluff. Mm. The government claims that such and such a thing is illegal, when in fact it hasn't even discovered a law under which it can enforce it yet. Yeah. And then there's the simple problem of enforceability. We had the police on, on the BBC this morning saying, well, look, if we're trying to, to, to police this new, this new shutdown of the pubs at 10 o'clock and there's one knot of trouble in a medium-sized town, uh, then that will distract all our attention from anything else. And basically, we will lose control. This, amongst other things, trying to create a, a police state in a country which doesn't have a vast and thuggish paramilitary police force is going to be virtually impossible. And if, if Mr. Johnson does as he threatened last week and calls in the troops, I think that has to be the moment at which everybody else says, let's call in the psychiatrist. Yeah. Well, that was a ludicrous thing to mention. And then for them to try and make out that, oh, actually, he didn't mean that they were going to be on the streets. He meant that they were going to come in and do administrative work. Well, why, yeah, would, you, why would you hire the army to do administrative work? We're going to be out in the streets and the soldiers were going to be doing the typing and making the yeah. team. Right. What do you use soldiers for? Yeah, I mean, it's just beggar's belief. It's just, and it's it just, and then to hear over the weekend again um, that uh, the, the figure of fifty thousand infections a day was literally plucked out of the air, as was the ten p.m. curfew, as was the rule of six. It's literally like we're being run by um, sort of idiots, isn't it? Well, indeed, but isn't this the case? And one keeps saying that how it, you have to go through much more rigid selection procedures. Uh, probably to to be in charge of a public lavatory than you have to be to be to be a cabinet minister. Anybody can be a cabinet minister. I mean, look at them. Uh, the, you know the old the, the old joke about uh, the American presidency that people were told that anybody could become president of the United States, uh, which sounded like a wonderful openness to ambition. And then you look at the people who become president of the United States, and realize it means something completely different. Anyone. It seems to me can become a minister or a member of parliament these days, and and many of these people it seems to have passed an examination in stupidity. Mm. I don't understand how we can be governed by such inadequate people, and how people put up with it. Well, people put up with it, I suppose, because the trouble with parliament at the moment is there isn't very much. Uh, opposition going on. We keep hearing that Keir Starmer's very clever, uh, that he's very forensic, uh, that he's very good at arguing with Boris Johnson, except that he keeps agreeing with him while arguing with him. Well, but why shouldn't he? Because he, he has no, in himself, as far as I can see, no particular uh, commitment in his political past, present or future uh, to liberty as such. Uh, he's pr probably the idea of, of, of using the uh, the, the the outbreak of a virus uh, to obtain more government power appeals to him mm. uh, as it, as I say power is power is like a, a, a weed infestation in your garden if unless you keep it down with constant weeding and tending and and, and, and spraying weed killer on it the weeds will take over because there's a natural tendency for power to grow unless it's opposed and people have forgotten this they thought that we were free country by by right that we would always be free, rule Britannia, Britannia rule the waves, etc. But in fact, our liberty depends on our own willingness to defend it. 
And until people do defend it, then it, it, it will actually be choked by these these leads. And, and what uh, sort of confidence do you have? I mean, albeit that uh, we have this conversation once a week, um, I, I, I kind of ask you this question in different ways every single week. What confidence do you have that finally, at some point, the British public, the great sort of British bastions of fair play um, and freedom, will actually say enough is enough now? Well, I think the numbers of people are beginning to say it. I do detect a very different tone in a lot of, not all, but in a lot of the newspapers, a willingness to entertain doubts, mm. a willingness to give, uh, to give intelligent and well-qualified scientists such as Sunetra Gupta house room who've been ignored uh, disgracefully by the government. That there is even evidence that the government has invited some independent scientists in to discuss these matters, though there's no evidence they've taken any notice of them mm. yet. But I think that must be the way out, that they that they begin to widen their... their I, I'm all in favour of giving people who've made fools of themselves a route out. I don't want them to be cornered. If they're cornered, they'll behave even more stupidly. The route out I think we must all offer the government is their sudden discovery during the next couple of weeks that there is an alternative scientific uh, prescription for what's going on and that it's worth following. Yes, the, the, because... That's, because that's, uh, that's what we must hope for. And there is definitely... You, you hear far more now uh, of uh, Professor Carl Hennigan, of Professor Gupta, uh, of Dr. John Lee, and of the other people who have who have been who have been making good, strong scientific cases against these measures from the start, they're getting a lot more airtime and a lot more access, I think, to ministers. And of course, the Treasury is, is plainly in a state of absolute horror. It, we didn't have a budget last week because they were too afraid. Uh, to reveal to the public just exactly what would be involved in trying to balance the national books. It is just going to be so terrible. The only thing they could do was to, was, was to, to push it into the distant future and concentrate on palliative measures. But it's plain the Treasury has completely run out of patience with the damage this is doing to the mm. economy. Well, I think I think Rishi Sunak did offer a kind of glint of light, did he not, when he said those words? You know, we should not be uh, living in fear of this. Exactly, that was, that was the that was the coded that was the coded statement from deep within the the, the heart of Whitehall, mm. a, around which resistance has begun to gather. We should no longer live in fear, and he's quite right. We shouldn't. No, but that's the point, isn't it? Because until the government realises or recognises that the numbers game uh, is not worth playing in the sense that, you know, it doesn't matter that infections are going up. It doesn't matter um, if people, more and more people are getting infected. If one, they don't know they're infected. Two, I mean, I watched with some amazement last night uh, a, a university student in Glasgow being interviewed by uh, the BBC, right? And I think it was a BBC Scotland interview. And they said, and this is Kirsty, whatever her name was, uh, who has got covid and she was sitting there rather like you, but looking even more healthy and laughing and talking and saying, you know, this is a terrible thing, but, you know, we all have to stay inside. And she was absolutely fine. You know, there was nothing wrong with her. No, well, this is often the case. No, I, it is extraordinary. Uh, but again, I hear you've talked to, to people I, I, that you encounter in, in, in normal circumstances, in, in, in cafes, in mm. the street, in church, or wherever it is, who are increasingly aware. I, I, the, I, the, the simple fact that the, the more you test, the more cases, so-called, you come up with, seems to have penetrated into a lot of people's minds now. Uh, the 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 other the other fact that so many of these people are not actually ill that the the COVID has by and large not uh, killed people uh, in, 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 except in very small numbers 
uh, who are not both very old and, ha- and with serious underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. These things are also beginning to penetrate. People are looking around and saying, well, again, why is it? Why are these things going on? It, it takes ages. There is a simple rule. Any, uh, any argument you wish to make in, in, in the public square, it will be weeks and probably months before most people even know that you're making it, and even longer before anybody pays attention. But I think those of us who have stood out against this since March are beginning to get a serious audience. Not 50%, probably not 40%, maybe not even 30%, but a very a, a very significant proportion of thinking people are beginning to realize that this cannot go on and that, that, that there has to be an end to it. And I think there is also considerable worry in, in, in the political class about the, the damage to the economy and also considerable worry in the political class about whether the prime minister can actually sustain himself in office much longer because he's, he's, he's clearly in, in considerable trouble, exhausted and, and, and generally overwhelmed. Mm. And it's not looking good. And also an awful lot of the messages that get passed, as you know, kind of surreptitiously to political editors and to uh, people who write columns in newspapers and that kind of thing. You know, there's an awful lot of situations uh, being kind of passed on. Um, I think we might have just lost Peter there. We'll try and get him back. There's an awful lot of, uh, shall we say, views abroad out there coming out of Downing Street that Boris didn't want to do it. Um, and, you know, poor old Boris is having to take the advice of these um, scientists because he has to take the advice of scientists. But like making out that Boris is the sort of reluctant um, leader here, that he's doing things that he's told to do rather than things that he wants to do. Well, I think I think the problem is that he's been overwhelmed by the uh, by, by what you might call the intellectual force of his scientific advisors. Mm. Uh, they themselves, because having been given, I, I try to sympathise with people in these positions. They've been given an immense responsibility because they advise the prime minister, and their advice is likely to be taken. They're terrified that if they get this wrong, and and hundreds of thousands of people die or fall ill, and the health service is overwhelmed, that they will be responsible. And so you can see why they're reluctant. But it, it, there is this inertia in, in all panics. We still we still have long, long after September the 11th, and actually long after sensible precautions on airplanes themselves made most of them irrelevant. We still have the extraordinarily stringent security provisions for air travellers of, 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 of almost 20 years ago, which badly mm. need to be revised because nobody has the nerve to say uh, these things are now outdated and we need to revise them because they're terrified that one incident will make them look foolish. Yes. And this is the reason why all of these pubs and restaurants, and I haven't been out since the new rules came in uh, with this app, but basically, I don't know what it's like in Oxford, but in London, it would seem that almost every establishment demands to see that you have downloaded an app before they let you in. And if you haven't downloaded an app, you're not allowed it. Well, that's true. But I I sympathise with these people because they're under so much pressure. Mm. Uh, if they don't uh, to take your name and do all those things, then an inspector can come around and close them down. I mean, it's bad enough as it is with the, the great limits on their business. But they're completely vulnerable to some bureaucrats and be saying, right, well, that's it. You haven't abided by the, the, the t- testing and, and, and tracking rules. We're shutting you down. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I completely understand the, the fix there, but it does make the whole business of going anywhere increasingly dismal. And again, you don't, you don't go, go out for dinner in a morgue or a police station but that's what these places increasingly look and feel like well exactly right because you're supposed to apparently wear a mask as you enter a mask as you leave a mask if you want to go to the toilet you know if you're uh, i actually saw some rules that were put in place in a restaurant um over in clapham which somebody posted on twitter which included um please do not hug anyone 
Um, and please do not cast your eyes to any table which is not with you. I mean, you know, it's just bizarre now. Well, I know it is, and it's 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 just completely it's completely senseless as well. Is is there something about this virus uh, which means it can only be transmitted when you're standing up? Uh, it, 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 After yet, ten o'clock, logic. And then there's this the whole breach of normal relations. I went to church yesterday, and everybody was wearing muzzles, and the a uh, parson was wearing muzzle, and afterwards she reproved me for not doing so. Oh, for goodness sake, I, I've come here to, um, to, you know, to, 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 to worship God, not to, be, not to be lectured about government regulations. Right. Uh, there's been this awful, uh, of, of all the places where people should be, should be more concerned about the, the, the relations between people and people rather than enforcing government regulation, church, you might think, would be one of them, but Everything is spoiled by this. Mm. And people who you got on with because they've been put in positions of responsibility and have been told, you've got to enforce these rules, uh, become, well, they, 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 they stop being your friends because they become uh, sort of special constables constantly enforcing laws which they probably don't really believe in uh, on people who they really oughtn't to be telling what to do. It destroys the whole warp and weft of civilised society when people are behaving like this. But as much as I, it put, it puts me off going anywhere, I don't want to stop going for that reason, because I worry that this is why the, 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 these measures have been brought in, to basically stop socialising. It's what it says on the front of the Times today. The government now wants us to stop socialising. Well, I don't want to stop socialising, thanks. No, you don't. But I, the thing is that what, what seems to me could be quite possibly be taking place is an attempt to have another complete shutdown of oh. uh, uh, without ever actually saying so. Right. Uh, well, they're, well they're, they're talking about a two-week shutdown of pubs, which I think both you and I would know would not just be for two weeks. But if you, of course it won't be for two weeks. But if you remember when the, the schools were being levered open again uh, against the resistance of so many silly people, uh, at one point uh, people in government and elsewhere started saying, well, we may have to swap the opening of schools to the opening of pubs and yeah. restaurants. I thought, here it comes. Yeah. That's the next thing. Sometime in September, they're going to be coming back and saying, right now the schools are open, but the pubs have got to close again, the restaurants have got to close again, and, and you're all going to have to stay home most of the time. And it, it, We are being punished. Uh, we're, being, we're being told that our entire lives are the gift of the state, uh, and we can have bits and pieces of our lives if the state feels like giving them to us. It's like the, it's like the PAYE system, which eventually convinces people that all their money belongs to the government. <laughs> and how nice it is of the government to let them have some yes. of it at the, end of the, at the end of the month. It's absolutely true. And, of course, the other thing is is that it's all our fault now. I mean, this was the latest thing from Boris last week, um, which we didn't have a chance to talk about because it happened, I think, on Tuesday, where he more or less blamed the populace for the fact that these terrible measures had to be brought in very much against his will, uh, but it's basically your fault. Well, it was grotesque, and it reminded me of the old joke uh, the, the, the the German playwright Bertolt Brecht made about when the, the workers of East Germany revolted against the workers' state of East Germany in 1953, and they had to send tanks in uh, to crush them. And Brecht said, well, the people have failed us. We're going to have to elect a new people. <laughs> I know. But I mean, can you see any way out of this at all? Because I, I mean, for the first time this weekend, I was kind of I was kind of beside myself in a way with 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 sort of despair. 
Well, we have to keep on doing what we're doing, I think, is one, is one thing, because it's the, the, the light that shines in the darkness shines brightly. And the fact that, that we do this every week and give an awful lot of people the, the comfort of knowing that what they think is actually shared mm. by others. Yes, it's important, and everybody in the media who has anything to do with this should, should keep on pressing it. And you'll find bit by bit that more and more people. I, my, my reckoning is that a year from now, everybody I know will say they were against this from the start. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's where I know. I know you said to me on the uh, on the weekend on a tweet that you know I'll come around eventually. I'm still holding fire, clinging uh, as if by, for for dear death to that uh, that start of the yeah, of the we, conversation we, that we had. We have, basically, we have to keep it. I get so many messages, and they're. And they're so touching from people saying, well, actually, it, what you've been saying has been enormously important because I thought I was on, on my own and now yeah. I know I'm not. And that's important. Yes. Oh, listen, I, I think, Peter, you've done you've done a remarkable thing because it's much more difficult to stand alone and say things, which is how it was when you and I first started talking. Oh, um, now, many more people agree with you, which is to your great credit. Well, I, I, I'm not claiming any credit. I mean, I give any credit to, to my parents and grandparents who brought me up to behave like this, and that's it, it's, it's, it's to them that I owe any of this. But what I also get, Mike, and this is the other thing, I had a letter on, on Friday morning from, from another journalist who just lost his job. Yeah, um, because of because of the the panic measures taken, and I I get letters of this kind every few days. Mm. People are actually losing their jobs. They don't now know where the the next the next mortgage payment is going to come from. How they're going to feed their children? Right. Anything. This is happening to people, and I think the, the what we do need is a lot more anger at the destruction of people's livelihoods, which is going on, which could be stopped. And I think that is why we have to be very grateful for, the, for at least the, the flash of intelligence from Rishi Sunak. But anger and patience together, uh, it, it's a difficult combination, but one needs to keep it up. And just keep on going. And I do say again that the, the Simon Dolan case is very important. And I think that it, it is people should give it their backing and should increasingly be saying, when is it coming to court? How many times can the government think of ways of delaying this? It's obvious the government are terrified. Of, of, of this case actually coming to court because they're on very weak ground and these these delays must stop and people must get engaged in that too but these are the things stay angry but stay patient okay very good message peter as ever great to talk to you thank you very much indeed peter hitchens mail on sunday columnist uh, a man who has steadfastly uh, stuck to his guns um, and all credit to him for doing so but also more and more people beginning to think that he was right all along I still say that from the beginning, when we didn't know much about this virus and we didn't know much about uh, what was going on in China, um, the government really didn't have much of a choice but to do the lockdown that they did. But they now, surely, to God, have to stop it, don't they? Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk radio. Now, we had a caller from uh, Dorset just a moment ago asking the question, how many people actually work for the public sector? Uh, and somebody has actually answered that question. Hillary says, to answer your caller's question, there are approximately 5 million state paid workers. Well, that explains a lot, doesn't it? No wonder they're all quite happy to sit at home in their underpants, tapping away on a laptop, because uh, they can. It's as simple as that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's talk to James Chiabrini, uh, director of your Portugal, a good friend of this show. James, very good afternoon to you. How are you, Mike? Nice to see you again. Yeah, very nice to see you too. How's it all going? How are you faring? Because, of course, um, you know, this new rule of 10 o'clock curfew, uh, 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 to my mind anyway, hits restaurants a lot harder than it hits pubs. 
Yeah, I mean, it's an absolute disaster for us. I mean, first of all, the government took away half our tables. Yeah. Fair enough. They then took away our ability to have a second seating, which basically means that you don't get anybody now after eight o'clock. Right. But also, the majority of restaurants actually only make their money on the luxury spends, the round of brandies, the second bottle of wine, yeah. the Irish coffees. All of that has absolutely disappeared. So we basically all our luxury spending is completely over now. Right. And what does that mean for you sort of long term as far as, you know, because when I last spoke to you, I think you were you were ticking along, but you weren't making a lot of money, but you were sort of surviving. So does this mean that yeah. you now dip below survival rate? No, no, no. We're still doing OK. We're still at, we're still keeping our head above water. Um, and I think we will continue to, to do so. I think small independent restaurants will continue to do so. I would like to think that consumers now will be a little bit more savvy with their choice of where they want to go and will choose small family-run independents like ours over, say, the big chains. Yeah. Um, but obviously, you know, having these idiotic curfew marshals walking through the door with their clipboards at half past nine, you know, eyeballing everybody in the restaurant doesn't really help. No, quite. Are you open for business on Wednesday lunchtime? Uh, we have our sister restaurant, Pizzicotto, is indeed open for business is on it? Wednesday night. I might come yeah. over and pay you a visit in that case. With great pleasure, Mike. We'll be there. We'll be there to look after you. Excellent, because this is what we need to do. You know, the government appears to me to want to stop people from socialising, to stop people from going out, making it more and more difficult, insisting that, that uh, premises such as your own have to make sure that people have got these apps that they have to show before they can enter. Yeah. You know, I mean, that is yeah. going to put a lot of people off, isn't it? It is. And also, you know, we have a lot of customers of ours who, um, you know, don't have the latest iPhone or don't have the latest uh, smartphone. And as a consequence, you know, it's not easy for a lot of people who aren't that technologically minded to scan themselves in. Right. And, and it's unfair to punish them, especially the older generation. Yeah, right. Because, yeah, if you don't have a, an iPhone, if in fact, if you've got an iPhone 5, I think it doesn't work on, on the app doesn't work on that phone. If you've got an old phone, um, which is not sort of up to up to speed over the last maybe four or five years, it doesn't work on that phone. So presumably you're you're then having to turn people away. Well, I'm not entirely sure what the rules are, because I thought that you're allowed to also just take down their name and number. Yeah, so okay. you can possible so if that's the case then that's what we'll continue to do but i'm i really i'm very confused by it all yeah well that's the trouble and have you found that you've been visited by the old uh, covid marshals that they pop around they did yeah at 9 41 on friday night they pop around oh yeah and what did they say i mean it just doesn't help does it mike i mean you know we're trying to run a hospitable restaurant you look, people go to a neighborhood italian restaurant because they want to be looked after and they want to feel like they're being charmed and you know and, and and sort of wooed a little bit over their dinner the last thing they want is some feckless idiot from the council coming around in a high-vis suit and a clipboard you know like looking them up and down and wondering if they're going to finish their tiramisu in seven and a half minutes right i mean really i mean it's just it's unnecessary and it's pointless and it's idiotic and it's a waste of our taxpayers money and frankly it's just completely pointless. Well, it really is. I mean, it's almost as though they want to take all the people that work in restaurants and employ them as COVID marshals instead, uh, which is not the job they wanted to do in the first place. I don't right? think anybody would do it. No. I mean, these guys, traffic wardens look like Santa Claus. I mean, you know I mean? yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, traffic wardens was, was the most hated person in the world until these guys came along. But I mean, what's next? Because they'll, they'll, next time they'll peer into your restaurant and go, that guy looks like he's had too many limoncellos. You better chuck him out, you know? I mean, also this ridiculous thing about, oh, so the MPs have to, oh, no, we're going to U-turn. We're not going to serve alcohol past 10 o'clock. Yeah. But you can serve food and soft drinks. I mean, is anybody actually going to realise whether that's a whiskey Coke or just a Coca-Cola? Oh, I know. I mean, 
And they say, oh, well, we need to be scrutinized to the same law. Well, that's not the same law. Oh. The same law that everybody has to be out of my establishment by 9.59. And if that isn't the law, then we're going back to card games and bottle of whiskeys on the table if that, with the staff, if that's the way that they Yeah, the old it. teapot. You know, used to go to Chinatown with a teapot full of wine, you know, that nobody could actually <laughs> see you were drinking. But, but yeah, this is the trouble. I mean, have you noticed a drop in numbers since, say, Thursday um, in terms of the normal footfall you'd have? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, nobody books after after ten past eight now, and mm. that's it. And there's no walk-ins on the street now. Right, there's absolutely no walk-ins. And you know, so if somebody doesn't show up for their booking, for example, you've got no way of replacing it. Right, it's like back to exactly how it was in July. Uh, we work really hard as an industry, not just my restaurants, but everybody's in the industry really worked so hard to make sure that they're that they to claw back the business in September. And now it's just another slap in the face. Mm. But I just government would be honest with us because we know that they're planning another second mini lockdown in october and we know that this is just priming us for this so just come out with it and say it just be straight with us for crying out loud well at least you could then make some plans because you would know for example that if you've got two weeks where you're gonna to have to shut down for sure then you can make sure that you don't give anybody any time off between now and then and they can all take yeah. their time off then you know it's simple yeah. stuff isn't it yeah, people who want to book holidays, you can arrange, make sure that holidays are arranged around to make sure that it, it falls in line with your restaurant, falls in line with childcare, falls in, falls in line with half term. Yeah. All these things matter to, to restaurants. And it's just so blatantly obvious that whoever's making up these rules has never, ever, ever owned a business or worked in any place that actually had to survive on profit and loss. Yeah. And has clearly spent their entire time in the cushy public sector being mollycoddled and trying to get their pension at the age of 50. Right. I've heard heard from some other friends of mine who've got restaurants in London as well who are getting squeezed by their landlords. Um, oh, and one, yeah. one particular guy is having to move his restaurant to another location uh, just yeah. because this landlord has been so unreasonable. Are you finding yeah. that's a, a, a problem? Because we're hearing anecdotally that like sort of rental prices for accommodation in London are going down, um, but, but mm. people are trying to squeeze restaurants and make them pay more to, to, to rent the place. Yeah, potentially. I mean, the planning laws will change all of that in our favour because now you can open up a restaurant, I think, any way you want with the right licensing. But, I mean, it's just one less hurdle for us to worry about with these laws. Mm. The reality is that landlords have to come to the table and right. they've got to do a deal with their tenant. We've done a deal with our landlord, which is in our interest, which is in his interest. There's always common ground to be done. Conversations need to happen. Uh, the government, in my opinion, has been very slow in dealing with this yeah. uh, the law officially states that anybody who is not 100 percent up to scratch on their rent come the first of october can be turfed out within two weeks notice really so that people who are six months behind on their rent because they haven't paid it since lockdown right. have to now come up with six months worth of rent in 14 days or they lose their whole premises and that it's could nuts. be a company that could be a restaurant that hasn't even been open right correct yeah, absolutely. Regardless of whether you've got any money coming through the door or not, absolutely makes no difference mm. whatsoever. Mike. That's awful. And have you been able to get any government help at all, really? I know you probably had furlough money at the beginning, uh, but after, since July the 4th, presumably you haven't really been after any money, have you? Well, we've got the C-Bills loan, which we, which we managed to keep and which you haven't used yet, thankfully. That's a kind of in emergency break glass. That's mm. been great. Financially, the government have been pretty good on uh, the Treasury, so I think have been pretty good on hospitality. They realise how important we are to the, the revenue stream of PAYE mm. and paying pension pots in this country. We have a huge employer in this country, unlike the big tech companies like Amazon and Deliveroo and Facebook, who basically, you know, who don't pay any corporation tax and don't pay any PAYE. Right. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're much more uh, on it in terms of basically 
providing the treasurer's coffers, which is why I think the treasury have been so good to uh, in looking after us. Right. But in vent- eventually what you want and what every business wants is the ability to stand on your own two feet and to make the money oh, that you yeah. were making before this oh, horrible, God. ghastly pandemic actually hit everybody. Yeah, and I think we will. I think we are getting to that stage, but I don't think it's going to come around this uh, this year. I mm. think this year needs to be a write off, and I think we need to start again in the spring and almost in one sense. But I mean, in, in one way, Mike, it's quite good. You know, I don't believe that in business you can have both opportunity and comfort. Mm. You know, you can either have one or the other. And I personally, as a small businessman, as an as an, as an entrepreneur, if I had to choose, I would choose opportunity over comfort. No, of I course. But if they lock you down for another two weeks, right, what happens if yeah. uh, that two weeks then becomes a month and that then becomes two months? That's a $64 million question, isn't it, Mike? Mm. Well, I didn't know you were making that much money, to be fair, but I mean... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be slipping plates for a living if I was <laughs> But you know what I mean? You know, you might be able to uh, absorb two weeks, but what if it was longer? Well, that's what the insurance companies are going to have to kick in there, aren't they? Because we saw that with the High Court um, case, yeah. where the uh, where the FCA took them to High Court to the High Court and ruled in our favour. Right. So they're going to have to pay out, Mike. There's insurance companies that we've been paying big premiums to every year on year, increased premiums. Now it's their turn to cough up. Yeah, well, they've been trying to weasel their way out of all of that stuff, haven't they? Oh, but, they've uh, been terrible. They've been a pack of alley cats. Yeah, shocking. Absolutely shocking. Well, good to see you in good spirits, though, James. And uh, uh, I'll maybe see you Wednesday. Yeah, look forward to it, Mike. Take it easy. Good stuff. James Chiaverini there from Il Portico, London's oldest family-run restaurant. It's in Kensington High Street. You should definitely go there, by the way. It's a great restaurant. Um, And James and his optimism, I think, deserves to be rewarded because it's very, very tough out there for all sorts of reasons in every sort of business. I mean, we heard earlier from um, a financial services company, uh, a lady up in Halifax, I think it was, who said that, you know, they've been struggling. Uh, They've they've really not been helped by the fact that people are now being told to work from home again, having got everybody back. Lots of companies, by the way, have spent a fortune on making their offices COVID safe, right? Only to now be told, how all that money you spent, you didn't need to bother spending it because you didn't actually need to bring anybody back into work. You know, I was campaigning for weeks and weeks and weeks. Richard Tice was doing the same to get people back into the offices of the cities of this country. And yet now that's completely gone into reverse. And instead, Boris Johnson's been telling everyone to go and work from home. It's absolutely extraordinary. Meanwhile, uh, over in uh, Edinburgh, we've got Nicola Sturgeon just getting up to do her daily press briefing. Scottish people are getting more and more fed up with her, I can tell you that, for nothing. People who formerly supported her and formerly supported the SNP are now saying, this is now getting ridiculous. It's getting out of hand. And it looks like now this country, England, is copying Scotland when it comes to playing music. They haven't banned it altogether yet. They've just said you can't play music over 85 decibels. We have won one small victory this morning, though, and that is, of course, getting the parliamentarians to reverse the idea that they could have a drink after 10 o'clock at night and nobody would have to ask them where they were from, who they were, where they were going. Absolutely no contact and tracing apps needed at all, which was absolutely and utterly ridiculous. And I'm very glad to say uh, that we won that victory this morning and they've reversed it. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.